Gamarjoba, my name is Roberto, and I would like to sincerely thank you for taking the time to check out my podcast, The History of Sacartvelo, Georgia. In all likelihood, I would venture to guess that you found us because you were searching for either podcasts, YouTube videos, blogs about the history of Georgia, or you're hearing this on another podcast, like this one. I'm both sorry and happy to report that this beautiful and fascinating country is, to my great surprise, criminally underrated in the history world. As of now, this is the only podcast I am aware of dedicated to the full history of a nation and a people that have served as the battleground for empires all throughout European and Asian history. But the land of the Kartveli is so much more than that. The birthplace of wine, the second Christian kingdom, the land of fantastic food, nearly superhuman dancers and musicians, and perhaps, most importantly, a people that have preserved their culture, pride, and independence after centuries of one conquest after another. Empires rise and fall, but Sacadvelo always seems to survive in the end. So, let us celebrate this beautiful land by coming with me on this journey from prehistory to the present day, right here at the History of Sacadvelo, Georgia. You can find us on our website, historyofsacadvelo.com, or on Twitter at History underscore Georgia. Sacarvelo is spelled S-A-Q-A-R-T-V-E-L-O. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Kia ora, g'day and welcome to the history of Aotearoa New Zealand. Episode 104, War in Heaven. This podcast is supported by our amazing patrons, such as Jan, Palila, and Harold. If you want to support Hans, go to patreon.com slash history Aotearoa. Last time, we started our discussion on Māori religion. We went over some of the disclaimers and talked about the creation of the world that we know today after Tepor, the primordial darkness. We also introduced the Big Six, the top gods in the Māori pantheon. Today we will continue the story of what happened after the separation of the Sky Father and Earth Mother. Pretty much the first thing that happened once his task was complete was that Tane Mahuta felt kinda bad and wanted to adorn his parents with finery to make them look all fancy. He started with his father and gave him the sun, moon and stars, sometimes described as giving Rangi a shiny cloak. Then he turned to his mother and gave her trees, plants, birds and insects to clothe and roam around on her. Once this task was complete, Tane received a rather interesting call with a pretty big job opportunity. He was asked to climb through the heavens to reach the highest one and retrieve the baskets of knowledge. These kete contained a whole host of important information about the nature of the universe that later would be taught by the whare wānanga, including the idea of the whare itself. There was also a whole lot of other important stuff, like what tapu is and how it works and things like that. 
This pissed off Fedor quite a lot. As we mentioned last time, he was quite jealous of Tane, given he was doing really well for himself despite being the youngest sibling, which Fedor took as a bit of an insult. Additionally, Fedor kinda hoped that he would be the one chosen to get the baskets of knowledge, so was further insulted that this wasn't the case. As such, Fedor planned revenge on Tane. The Atua of the forests began climbing the heavens, and when he reached the second one, he learned the design of the Farewananga, called Farekura. Fedor followed him, taking a slightly different route up the side of the heavens to remain unseen. Fedor missed Tane in the second heaven and learned he was already in the third, so Fedor sent his minions to attack him. Things like mosquitoes, sandflies, owls, bats, and other creatures of the night attacked Tane. Thankfully, Tafurimatia and his winds dispersed them so that Tane could proceed. He kept climbing with some friends, most of whom gave up along the way. Eventually, he made it to the entrance of the topmost heaven, either the 10th or 12th, to be greeted by the supreme god's attendant, Rehua. Tane underwent a purification ritual before entering the final heaven, and underwent another purification once inside, since the topmost heaven was the most pure and tapu, meaning there was a bunch of protocols that needed to be followed. You don't meet the Pope in your jandals, after all. A few moments later, Tane emerged with the Kete of Knowledge, of which there were three. While this was going on, Fedor was slowly making his way up, deciding to set an ambush with his minions a couple of heavens down, springing it as Tane was returning with the baskets. A large battle ensued, but Tane, having been strengthened by his travels, won the day. Some of Fedor's followers were taken prisoner, others fled to the earth where they began harassing humans, and Fedor himself was cast down straight into the underworld, where he remains to this day. You might have guessed that the timelines of some of these events don't quite add up. I mentioned that humans had been created in the previous story, but I haven't told you about that yet, because in some sources it hadn't happened at this point, but in others it had. So don't get too caught up in the specifics of what events go where. It kinda doesn't matter and isn't really the point. As such, you may have heard that the following story happens fairly soon after the separation, and may somewhat contradict Tafiri Matea's actions in helping Tane fight Fedor. Because the Atua of Storms still held a grudge against his younger brother for pushing their parents apart with his legs, and had been conspiring with his father, Rangi, to enact some revenge. In doing so, he started a godly war by sending wind, rain, and all manner of storms to attack his brothers. This war was also described in our early episodes, and chronicles not only the fight between Tafiri Matea and his brothers, but also Tangaroa and Tane Mahuta. 
This was because Ika Tedi, father of fish, and Tu Tewehiwehi, father of reptiles, both of whom were children of Tangaroa, split up onto sea and land respectively. This caused a division between Tangaroa and Tane, who became enemies, the latter giving humans waka, spears, nets and the like to catch Tangaroa's descendants, whereas Tangaroa constantly buffets the land. Tafirimatia wasn't just angry at Tane for doing the deed, he was annoyed at all the gods who consented to the idea of the separation. So, he also attacked Rongo and Homia, though Papa hid them for a time, which is why Kumara and Aruhe are found in the ground. Instead, the wind god fought against the solitary to Matoinga, who managed to hold his ground and weather the storm. Hence why humans are able to withstand against wind and rain. Feeling that their honour had been satisfied, Tafirimatea retreated back to Rangi. However, now the story switches to Tu Mitoinga, who was annoyed that his brothers had not come to his aid. So he made snares to catch Tane's children, birds, and did the same with Tangaroa, with nets and fishing lines. Rongo and Homia's children were harder to find, since they had retreated underground. But he recognised their hair, the fern stalks and kumara leaves, and pulled them up to put into baskets. Since Tu cooked all the offspring, rendering them Noah, this shamed his brothers, who were inherently tapu. Overall, this story is all about why humans are at the top of the food chain and can eat plants and animals, generally giving the vibe that we are the superior species. As mentioned last episode, Kaitahu have a slightly different version of this story, or depending on how you work it, this is actually an entirely different war, where Tu and Rongo are the villains who introduce, quote, evil and death into the world, end quote. This seems to have resulted from Tane setting up the stars and retrieving the baskets of knowledge, in so doing, setting up the rules of tapu, and seemingly Tu and Rongo weren't all that keen on the whole idea. So, as a kind of revenge, they wanted to see if Tane's children tasted nice, so they killed either a bird or a fish. Regardless of whether it's a bird or a fish, Tu and Rongo offer up the cooked animal to Rehua, who took it not knowing what it was. Rehua is sort of a god of pure goodness, so they took this as a positive sign and went up into the heavens to fight Tane. Versions of similar stories usually show Tu being victorious, but in Kaitahu's telling, Tu is actually killed, with Rongo trying to avenge him in another battle, but is instead cast into the underworld. Hence, again, why Kumara is in the ground. Other tellings have various gods fighting each other, such as Tane and Tangaroa, with Rongo often depicted as trying to broker peace between them, and in one story, he actually offers to make this his full-time job, so that everyone can live in peace. However, 
Two refuses, and hence why the world isn't in a perpetual state of peace. It's stuff like this that means, although Tumatoinga is like really important in the Pantheon, he misses out on being higher because he's a bit of a dick. However, Tu gets off pretty light in this story, as he is described as being reasonably merciful towards his enemies, which is actually a bit unusual for him. Also unusual is that Rongo, typically the god of peace and the guy who wanted to make that his full-time job, advocates for total war against Tane, to which even the literal god of war tells him to chill the fuck out. After everyone had calmed down after getting into a huge family argument at the Christmas table, which resulted in a couple of them being banned from ever attending again, the Big Six decided that they wanted to fill the earth not just with plants and animals, but something greater. A mortal race of intelligent creatures. Humans. There was a couple of problems with this, as the only way to create life was to, well, adults, you know, and kids, ask the adults. All of the big six were blokes, and although we love to see a gay romance, biologically speaking, two fellas a baby does not make. So they needed to go out and find a woman that was willing to sleep with one of them and be the mother of a new mortal race. But that's where the other problem came in, because the key word there was mortal. The Atua didn't want to create just another race of immortal gods, which is normally what happened when they did the nasty. That's how most of the lesser gods and personifications of various things had come into being. For example, Hine Nui Te Po, the goddess of death, was Tane's daughter. It isn't clear why they wanted the new race to be mortal, but one can assume it was somewhere between jealousy, desire for worship, power, and all that sort of stuff. So, because of the mortal requirement, a lot of the obvious candidates for a mother were eliminated, such as the denizens of the upper heavens. Additionally, they wanted a woman that was connected to the earth rather than the heavens. So, the gods went across the world looking for Uha, the female element. But they didn't have any success. Instead, if the gods couldn't go out and find Uha themselves, they would have the Uha come to them. They instructed females of every species to come before them and give birth in front of them to see how suitable they would be. They went through all sorts of different animals who showed them how they gave birth and presented the gods with their offspring. The most notable of these were the female lizards, who, of course, gave birth to eggs. The reaction in the room must have been quite dramatic, because all of the big six found that just way too weird. So they told them to stop, as that was only for birds. Hence why, here in New Zealand, lizards give birth to live young. However, 
Tuatara had been produced by the first egg, so it was determined that they were allowed to continue the practice. Some versions of this story have Tane being what I can only describe as a fuckboy and mating with lots of different women with the intent to get them pregnant. But none of the offspring ended up being mortal. For example, he mated with Hine Tu Maunga, the mountain maid, and she gave birth to Para Whenuamea, the personification of water. His escapades during this time also produced lots of plants and animals, like Matai, Totara, Tawa, Hino, Maere, Rata, all insects, Tui, Weka, and Aruhe for some reason. These were from about 10 different women, but none of them had the uha to make Ida Tangata, human life. After having not much luck, and in some versions Tane being told during his journey to get the kete that he wouldn't find what he seeks unless he creates it, the gods decided to make a woman out of clay, using their own image as a basis. Punaweko, the personified form of birds, was said to provide the hair. Tafiri Matea provided the lungs. The ability to think was provided by the personified forms of thought in the upper heavens. And the supreme god was said to have provided the wairua and blood. Other gods provided organs, limbs, or abilities to the woman. But Tane provided the most important of all the breath of life. And once he had done so, the woman sneezed in response. This is where Hongi comes from. After the first woman, Hine Ahuone, was created, she was taken to a sacred place and, through ceremony, had the tapu removed from her. Tane took her as his wife and had many girls with her, one of which he also took as a wife. Hine Titama, the dawn. However, Tane wasn't very upfront with her about her parentage, namely that her husband was also her dad. She would ask numerous times who her father was, and he would deflect the question until one day his reaction gave it away. Saddened, she decided to spend her days in Papa at Rarohenga, the underworld. As you do when you sometimes run away from home, she changed her name, and it's one we are very familiar with. Hine nui te pō, death. She told Tane that he would bring their children up in the day, and she would drag them into the night. Depending on how you interpret this, it could be meant as a threat towards humans, or perhaps as a statement of protection, as she sometimes is said to protect the souls of the dead. There are lots of variations on how Uha was found, and how the first woman came into being, but they generally follow similar threads, such as quite a few intertwining with the introduction of death into the world. As mentioned, all of the children from Hine Ahuone were women, and unlike the story about the first woman, the story of the first man can vary wildly depending on who you ask. Usually though, the creator of the first man is accredited to Tane or Tu, 
However, sometimes it is said Tiki is the creator of the first man, which is interesting because he is also often said to actually be the first man. Best claims that the belief that Tu was the creator of men was a minority belief. However, I would say most popular stories you read in books today feature him in the creator role, especially since he is often seen as the god of humans, and is most often aligned with their interests in various stories. In his version, Tu basically copies the blueprint set by the cooperative efforts of the other gods that resulted in Hini Ahuone, but instead made it male instead of female. So, by that logic, Tu Matoinga was the first surgeon to give top and bottom surgery, which, by extension, means the first man was trans by definition. Checkmate, atheists. Anyway, instead of giving this new human life through bodily contact, or through breath, as Tane did to Hine Ahuone, Tu did it, quote, by his power or life force, end quote. So I take that to mean he did it through sheer force of will, which I feel is a very human thing to do. In some accounts, men existed before women, and actually came about before the separation, Tiki springing up from the vines and other plants that existed during that cramped, dark period. In some versions, Tiki is just a bloke, but in others, he is given some godlike qualities, even making another man out of clay, blood, and urine. Some versions also have him as the son of Tane and Henetitama. Tiki is often used to represent the most male of body parts, the penis, specifically the erection. His name is even sometimes said to be Tiki Ahua the name given to Tane's erection when he had intercourse with Hine Ahuwane. To end this episode, I think it would be good to take a closer look at the heavens that we have mentioned, as I kind of just dropped that on you without really explaining it further. Although it depends on who you ask as to whether there are 10 or 12 heavens, the gist of the idea is that there are multiple areas or levels in the sky that are stacked on top of each other, the main way to get between them to be to climb up or fly up as various characters sometimes do. Each of these heavens is said to have its own sun, moon and stars, and each has a different quality or theme. The first heaven, the one we can see from Earth, is Rangi himself, and is where Tafiri Matia resides. The second heaven is filled with rain and sunshine, while the third is filled with lakes. The second heaven also had the Farekura, which was the template that Tane took for the building that would house the Farewananga. The fourth heaven was where the souls of humans would be sent once they were born. The fifth was the, quote, abode of spiritual beings, end quote. The sixth was the home of the lesser-ranked gods. Tafiki, from episode 98, rules here. The seventh and eighth heavens were where human souls are born and wait to be allocated to bodies. 
The ninth heaven is where the attendants of the supreme god lived, with Rehua being the leader of the top four uppermost heavens. The tenth heaven was the domain of the supreme god himself. Rehua was said to reside in the uppermost heaven with this supreme god, and was also seen as a fairly significant being, possibly nearing the supreme god in power. He was said to have long flowing locks with lightning emitting from his armpits. He is generally seen as a benevolent atua, and is sometimes described as a child of Rangi and Papa, and in others he is described as the god of the tenth heaven. The lower heavens were generally more chaotic than the higher ones, having lots of rain, lightning, wind and snow. As such, any souls that rose into the heavens tended to want to get beyond them and into the higher ones. To get into the topmost heaven, there was only one door, called Tepu Moto Moto o Tikitiki o Rangi, and only a select few were allowed to freely walk through it, one of those being Rehua. Anyone else had to ask permission, including the departmental gods, like Tane Mahuta did when going to get the kete. If someone was deemed worthy to enter, they first needed to be purified in Tafirirangi, a sacred house where such rituals would be performed. This house was guarded by the fiercest winds of the second most upper heaven. The heavens aren't just filled with wind, rain and chaos though. There are other denizens who live there. The broad term for beings that live in the uppermost heaven is upper, and they are split into two groups, Fatukura, who are all male, and Marekura, who are all female. You may also hear them by their full name, Te Appa Fatukura and Te Appa Marekura. Beings that attended the supreme god, such as Rehua, were also called upper, but due to their important jobs, they were afforded special titles. The upper were often messengers of the Atua, possibly just the supreme god specifically, and were perhaps minor gods in their own right. Some of the Fatukura helped Tane in his quest for the Kete, Rehua obviously being one of them. There are other groups of beings in the other heavens, but they follow this basic pattern of being split into men and women. One of the more interesting groups that spend most of their time on Earth are the Poutiriao, who are in charge of keeping the various natural forces in check, since it would be pretty bad to just have them doing whatever they want and run rampant. They also ensured that there was cooperation in nature so that various things could flourish and be kept in order, such as ensuring the stars kept their normal course in the sky, or that the ocean currents kept moving, or that the winds, rain and lightning didn't turn on Papatuanuku. Some controlled disease, others the seasons, and generally they held deep occult knowledge of the heavens and oversaw tapu areas. Pretty much every aspect of life, both material and immaterial, was covered by a few of these beings. 
A lot of these guardians cross over as being the origin of various things, such as being the origin of seabirds, sharks, and even the big departmental atua were among these guardians. That is to say, due to Tane Mahuta's position as taking responsibility for the trees and such, he is also considered a potirial. These beings were appointed by the gods themselves around the time Tane brought back the baskets of knowledge. They looked after all these forces on earth and in the heavens, except for the topmost heaven, since the supreme god could handle that himself. Wanting to keep his finger on the pulse, the Fatukura would report back to the Supreme God about how well the Potirial were doing. Next time, we will delve into this mysterious figure that I've been hinting at all episode. Who is this Supreme God? Where did he come from? I've never heard of him. You probably haven't. So we will talk all about him in the next episode. If you want to send me feedback, ask a question, suggest a topic, or just have a chinwag, you can find my email and social media on historyaotearoa.com. Aotearoa spelt A-O-T-E-A-R-O-A. You can also find helpful resources there, like transcripts, sources, and translations for some of the Te Reo Māori we have used. You can help support Hans through Patreon, buying merch, or giving us a review. It means a lot, and helps spread the story of Aotearoa New Zealand. As always, hairi tu atu, hoki tu mai. See you next time.